Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. So welcome to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters. And today I am so pleased to welcome James Hacken to the Multi-Site Masters podcast. James is, if I may say so, a bit of a guru on uh, the restaurant and hospitality business. I'm just really delighted he's got five minutes of his time to spend with us today talking about a topic which I had the pleasure of hearing James talk about in Dubai a couple of months ago. We were all at the Global Restaurant Investment Forum, and James spoke about the restaurant of the future. And I immediately thought this would be a fascinating topic to walk through today on our podcast. For those of you who don't know James, you may know him from Restaurant Marketer and Innovator, but more recently, he's become Managing Director of Think Hospitality. Of course, I'd like James to tell us more about both of those organizations. But James, first, welcome to the Multisite Masters podcast. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here uh, with you and being able to talk a little bit about, about the sector, a sector that I love so much. Great. Well, we are very pleased to have you. Now, James, I always start by asking people to give us a bit of a potted history of their career. Uh, I always say 90 seconds, but you've had a very interesting career. We could do a whole podcast just, I think, on your experiences in your career. But maybe could you give us a, a brief tour of where you've been and what you're doing right now? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity again. The My career really started when I was very young, actually, very young indeed. My parents owned a uh, a restaurant and from that hospitality base, I kind of got hooked. It started in the kitchen, as most people do, washing the pots, ended up getting uh, doing most of the roles in that restaurant. So it was a really great foundation. Uh, and from there, I was planning to go to university. That didn't quite come to fruition because I ended up being hooked too much on hospitality and ended up uh, starting my career at the very fabulous Glen Eagles Hotel in Scotland, which wow. still plays a very important part in my uh, in my heart. So it's a really beautiful, uh, beautiful spot up there. You should visit if you've not been there. But um, yeah, long story short, I from that time to now, I've really, uh, really developed solely in the hospitality sector. Uh, I've been a consultant, uh, MD of an agency. Uh, I've run a hotel and small restaurant business and recently left being on the board of a 21-site restaurant operator. But uh, throughout it all, I suppose, I see what I do is growing and developing brands uh, and growing and developing businesses. Uh, that's very much encapsulating what what I do in a very short period of time. Uh, as you said at the beginning, I've uh, I founded Restaurant Marketer and Innovator with Paul Charity and the, the team over at Propel. And it was a really great opportunity. I saw a gap in the market, really. Uh, and as someone that sees himself as a marketer and uh, someone who's strategist in our sector, I didn't feel like there was a place where I could go and meet other people like me. And I really felt that it was very operator focused. So we decided to create uh, an event that runs every January called Restaurant Marketer Innovator. Uh, we had 700 to 800 people this year and it was really spectacular. But 
for us it's about building a community it's about bringing people together to share their experience and we also have a fabulous 30 under 30 program where we recognize future talent alongside that uh, i i run think hospitality now it's my business with a few uh, few shareholders and partners and uh, we do three things we invest in some great great early stage concepts and entrepreneurs which just fantastic i love working with those guys uh, we advise a number of bigger businesses and uh, we also do the inspiration piece so we do a lot of this stuff a lot of inspirational talks and uh, really try and help people to understand our sector and i suppose love our sector thank you jane i think you just uh, demonstrated my comment about being a bit of a guru and i think the what's beautiful about your experience is that you've been both an operator you run restaurants as you say and you've had the opportunity of working at, at well started with the Glen eagles uh, the only way is up i suppose after that what an amazing place but uh, you you're not just if you like uh, coming from a theory you've absolutely been at the sharp end and you're helping businesses new and old with ideation with strategic facilitation and of course i know investing as well in new businesses so again it really is good to have some time with you today the event that you spoke about in january is that where the the concept of let's get together and come up with our views on the restaurant of the future is that where that came from is that the purpose of it it is yes i mean what as i said it's about sharing what people were doing but i also wanted a very strong future angle but without it being navel gazing either uh, i think that's the problem in fact is that often you go to these events and you're talking about the future and the things are so far removed from where you are right now that it's hard to only take any value from that so we had yeah. a had a, an hour session actually as part of that event where throughout the whole morning we locked down uh, some really amazing, amazing people actually. I was so pleased to have them come and work with us to ask them what they think the restaurant of the future is. Uh, and then they came and presented back on stage and got, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to say got interviewed, but maybe the better, the better, uh, better adjective would be roasted by Jay Rayner, the very well-known <laughs> restaurant critic, about, yeah. uh, about their output. But it was a very interesting way of delivering it back. And I think some of the insights very interesting and obviously with anything about the future it is people's opinion uh, there's some some degree of uh, some degree of trends and insight behind that but fundamentally it's the view of a number of different people and why the reason that we did it that way was we felt that by having someone that was a restaurateur someone that was a technologist someone that was a food guru the reality is that we would get them all coming with their own views uh, hoping that they would create a balanced view between them uh, that we mm -hmm. could all use used to help guide us in our businesses. Well, and you certainly uh, brought together a, quite an array of people. Are you able to tell us some of the people who got involved in that presentation? Yeah, so it was all uh, headed up by a, a good friend and colleague, Russell Danks, who's a futurist and runs a, a future factory in London. Uh, he's recently moved on from Green King, uh, where he spent the last few years, and that's where I got to know him. Uh, so he pulled it together for me on a, on a kind of on the day and beforehand. We then had uh, Paul Hiskins, who's a product specialist uh, from Coca-Cola. We had Ben Carter, who's uh, the marketing director for the UK at Just Eat, so very much looking at that kind of technology angle. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Morris Abudi from K10, who to me is uh, one of the most uh, most respected restaurateurs. I think he's an amazing guy. Uh, Peter Edwards, who is from Zonal, uh, and Joseph Youssef, who's uh, 
just simply uh, simply outstanding uh, and a molecular gastronomist from kitchen theory if you've not wow. been to kitchen theory up in high barnet you really have to go it, it, i was there a few weekends ago and shared shared the posts on facebook and instagram and uh, people were just yeah completely overwhelmed by what i was sharing and that was obviously through through his amazing experience much more than my dodgy photography <laughs> I have to say, people should definitely follow you on Instagram because I saw the pictures and uh, I hadn't actually made the connection to that he was on the panel until just now. So again, what a great person to have on. Yeah, really, really great guy. And uh, and all of them, really superb. Uh, in fact, for anybody that's listening that thinks that they could add more value, we are running the same thing again next year. And I'd love to hear from anybody via Twitter or LinkedIn or so on. So. Marvellous. Well, we will be putting your contact details on Twitter and LinkedIn, etc., into the show notes. So people, if you'd like to get involved, please don't hesitate to contact James. Now, you basically locked these people in a room. You, you refused to feed them until they came up with the inspiration, the ideas on that restaurant of the future. Just to give people a bit of a kind of a roadmap for where we're going. I understand there was really five key areas, the content of, and design of the restaurant. The, the research and pre-booking that I guess the guest would do, the food type and the service style that would be offered, uh, payment methodologies and follow-up, and then the looking at the in-home dining experience, which we all know is becoming very, very, very important. So can you walk us through each one of those in, in, the, in any order you prefer? Yeah, of course. I think what's interesting to say there is that I didn't want to set set a framework. I felt it was really important that that they they set the framework, uh, and each of those five areas came from from those ah. people working together before the session. So uh, I I literally gave them the mission of defining what we can expect in a restaurant in the future. They had five hours, and then we'll release them to share their output live, uh, and right. of course be roasted by Mr. Rayner. But um, it was interesting that uh, a little bit of work was done beforehand because we also had it all live sketched during the process, which again we can put a link on 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 your podcast and they can download that but the the first one i'll pick up is research and booking so i think if we start at the beginning of the guest journey uh, that idea of inspiring somebody and then researching going on to pre-booking are the first three key parts of a guest journey hmm. i think it's interesting that at this point i'd like to say that it's interesting within a guest journey that these things haven't changed over a period of time. I think uh, in terms of the, the actual the actual flow of a journey. So people have always been inspired to go to a restaurant or uh, a, a, travel, a travel destination or so on. Uh, they've then had to research that and then they pre-book it uh, if they're pre-booking uh, or they'll, they'll, they'll do some level of transaction. So if you went back hundreds of years ago, the, the inspiration might have come from reading reading the Daily Times, it then might have, uh, the research may have been looking at a guidebook and then the pre-booking stage would have been handwriting a letter and sending it away to a restaurant and waiting for that uh, letter to come back. But if we look at that in today's world, we're probably looking at inspiration from social media. We're looking at researching, certainly being on, on online, uh, probably on a mobile phone. And pre-booking, it's interesting actually with pre-booking that uh, most people think that online is, uh, is, is the most predominant way. But a lot of figures I've seen suggest that the the traditional telephone is still uh, is still very strong in that. So, but in that research and pre-booking stage, so well, what is it that uh, is going to happen with that in the future? And our team of experts uh, really highlighted three three key areas. 
So the first one is this idea that uh, there's a kind of food state need. So in selecting and researching a, a restaurant or a food service business, I think it's on a much broader basis, that you might uh, you might then pick it by how you're feeling. So maybe that you you click and you say, actually, I'm hungover. So this is this is the type of food that I'm going. I'm I'm then going to flow through. Uh, I'm I I want a party or. I'm starving and it will bring up different options within a research. So, uh, and I think at this point, it's also important to highlight how important voice is going to be in terms of voice activation as we move forward. You have to look at the statistics around Alexa and so on and how that's just gone crazy. But uh, second to that was the idea uh, of surge pricing. I think we've already seen one restaurant in London that's doing doing this. And I've, I've heard certainly personally a number of players looking at this as an opportunity. Let's, let's face it, there's been a degree of surge pricing in our sector for, for a long time, for as long as I can remember. The idea of having a lunch menu and a dinner menu uh, being different prices, almost certainly, I mean, even at a Michelin star level, I know that you can go to a Michelin star restaurant in London and get a three course meal of 25 pounds during the day. Uh, in the evening, you're probably gonna struggle getting something under 80 pounds. But I think the idea of actually surge pricing the same same items is what we see will be a future trend in the same way as an airline does. An airline will actively change the same price depending on demand, and that's taken by the amount of visits to the website. Uh, someone has the amount of pre-booked seats, and in the same way, I think we will see this coming to the restaurant sector. Uh, and we're, as I said, we're already starting to see that. To me, however, the, the standout part, in fact, of the whole presentation was about gastronomic passports. And I think that this is, given where we're at in terms of data in the world right now, uh, GDPR aside as a, as a, as a <laughs> somewhat small blip that is coming up soon, I think that we are in a world where people share data, are willing to share data, and ultimately exchange data in, on behalf of having a better experience. And the view of our, our experts was that there will be some level of gastronomic passport that says that there'll be a simple, secure way to communicate your needs, your dietary requirements, your preferences ahead of time or even automatically so that when you walk into a restaurant, ultimately what you're being delivered is tailored to you. And I think this is this is absolutely going to happen. I, I, it's the one that I, I don't think there's any debate around do you think you're wait, we're kind of waiting for a company to design an app that effectively has all of that information stored? So a restaurant, maybe using something like OpenTable, can access it. Do you think that's that's, that's what the way the route to market? Yeah, I think the I think there will be. I think that let's face it. In terms of we've seen from the uh, Cambridge Analytica piece that that. Facebook as a, as a platform is already so prevalent in terms of the amount of data it stores on us. Uh, they, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, Lee, but they've referenced recently that they've launched in the US a, a ordering system. You only have to look at Deliveroo and Just Eat here and other key players to think, well, actually, there's definitely an opportunity in the future for one of these key players to be developing this type of technology. Uh, but on a much smaller basis, you also look at, in terms of the payment information, because I think that's the other one at the other end, but it does link into this technology piece. Uh, there are there are many players which we'll come on to talk about who are already doing some really interesting stuff in terms of the payment. Uh, but I think that we'll see this coming together, uh, coming together much more within one provider looking to take that on. Do you think search pricing will affect 
perhaps casual dining or um, rather than necessarily the entire market? Or do you think it's, it's likely to be more, more localised? I think grab and go is probably somewhat protected from this. Uh, yeah. But I think that casual dining will, uh, I think casual dining and maybe uh, the, the food led businesses, I can see this being, being part of the future for sure. Mm. Okay. So as a consumer, I'd have, well, clearly, as you say, this is not a new process in terms of the journey, but the tools have changed and the tools are going to, from what your, your party has identified, those tools are going to become even more powerful for people to be able to share that data and for the restaurants to know automatically what type of food is required, whether that's uh, just a preference or an, alert, an allergy need. Okay, so then I come on to uh, the concept, I guess, the concept and design. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting in this respect that I don't think that what what our panel came up with was too revolutionary. I think it's actually about an evolution, uh, an evolution of what we're already seeing happening. So I think the idea of uh, ultimately people are trying to utilize their facility as best possible. So I think this idea of uh, we've, we've seen all day trading become a big part of our sector over the past what four or five years now when that will continue to grow but i think within that i think technology and uh, better use of better use of spaces by making them more flexible and modular in their design will mean that uh, i think we'll see better use of, better use of these spaces uh, i think particularly as let's face it societally we are getting to a point where cities are increasing uh, cities are continuing to increase in size we're becoming more urban in terms of dwelling and i don't think this is just within the restaurant sector i mean a great example of this is the idea of eating out uh, sorry eating in your home uh, i was recently up at wembley park area and discovered that a number of the new apartments they've got up there just don't have kitchens in the units uh, so in the in the apartments, what they and this is seemingly very very big in New York right now. You're trying to fit more people into a smaller space, but what they have got instead is they've got kitchen facilities part way down each floor, and they've also got rentable spaces for people to be able to entertain. So actually, you've got a far greater designed space as an individual in the building rather than individually. And I think that this idea of pressure on space will almost certainly drive this flexible modular design, which obviously our expert panel came up with there. Yeah. The second one is, I think, integrating food into an experience, but also integrating kind of senses into the experience. And I think one of the things that they highlighted was much greater input to, of senses. So smell of uh, sound. It's interesting, actually, how many, how many restaurants uh, fundamentally put on Spotify or just an iPod or have staff members swapping out their phones. I mean, these are all things that I know that we've had difficulties within businesses I've been involved with, but actually the music, as we know for a long time, is so important to presenting, uh, presenting a finished experience. But I think that what we'll see is more of that happening, but in a, in a broader sense. Uh, one of the ones that I was, uh, was actually looking at was there's a uh, there's a restaurant in Sweden that in fact presented at the same conference that we met, where they're using a number of different uh, different senses uh, through I think it mostly smell, lighting, so uh, and also right. music to to try and highlight uh, highlight that 
uh, and, and improve the experience. And what they're seeing is an active ability to be able to change the way that someone's uh, transacting at different times of day through each of those mechanisms. Uh, I think the, uh, it, it's a pizza restaurant, but again, we can share that within the notes. Yeah, the ability to analyze that data and the classic, uh, what gets measured gets managed. The ability to provide people with just-in-time data around everything from temperature to, as you say, smells, uh, music levels was, was really quite uh, eye-opening uh, that the industry is going down that, or certain parts of the industry are going down that route to better provide that level of uh, integration. And was it Hackathon? I seem to remember... Uh, their presentation as well, talking about it's all about those the five senses and the experience that you have. So they're not going to be producing a cookbook anytime soon. I seem to remember the CEO saying because you have to physically experience the the brand in all five senses to truly understand what it is that you're uh, getting from that brand. That's right. I mean, I think he was talking about uh, he was talking about it being very much within their four walls rather than uh, anything external. So the idea of delivery may not be something that uh, they would they would consider. Uh, and of course, that's Nick McCabe Nick there from Hackazan. Uh, I've just found the name of the, the restaurant I was just referencing, actually. It's Fast Fine Pizza, 1889 Fast Fine Pizza. And they reference themselves as a disruptive restaurant chain and innovation lab for extraordinary guest experiences. Uh, and in fact, I'm going over there soon to go see them. So I'm really looking forward to meeting Ben and the team now. Excellent. I look forward to some great pictures on Instagram, Jane. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll certainly, uh, certainly try. But... Uh, the last, uh, the last one on concept and design was much more the idea of having an online, offline brand presence. And I think this idea of uh, making sure that in terms of your design, that it definitely flows through across your social channels, your uh, mobile applications, your digital. And I think we're, we're seeing, uh, we, we've actually had a period of time where I think that we saw a, a backward turn in terms of brands displaying themselves effectively online, uh, particularly around their websites for it being much more functional. I think that's, uh, that's I think we're gonna see much more emphasis on experience design and usability relating to uh, our sector. In fact, I've done a piece of work recently for a grab and go concept, uh, and I analyzed a number of other competitors and what that looks like in terms of online ordering. And you get to the online ordering part of the system, their websites, they might have had a beautiful website, but you get to online ordering, and it's a completely separate system. Yeah. It doesn't portray their brand at all. And I think we yeah. see more ownership internally of that, of that, type, of, that type of technology. And that links also, I, I know I remember from your presentation, the, the critical nature of making things as frictionless as possible. And if that ordering phase is you having to go to different sites, different pages, or you, God forbid, use different apps, uh, that's hardly the definition of frictionless. One of the things that I remember uh, what happened recently, which obviously you guys didn't know about back in January, was of course a major chain has decided to, to pull off Weatherspoons, has pull off social media at all. Do you see that completely? Do you see that as a as that a starting point? Do you think other brands might follow that lead? It's interesting. I wrote an article about this a few weeks ago, uh, and my view on it is that I actually think Weatherspoons, for their brand, have made the right decision. I think that ultimately. Uh, they, they've definitely put themselves out there as a brand that is much more focused around, around value and around an experience in their sites. And I think that actually as a, 
Weatherspoon's consumer, are you going to be particularly worried that someone's not tweeting you back? Uh, probably not. You'll be more worried about the amount of time that you've got to wait at the bar. Or, And I think it's interesting that you could see it as a way of moving backwards at Weatherspoon's, but it's quite the reverse, in fact. Look at, they, my understanding is they're now one of the most successful applications in our sector in terms of usage. I saw a figure recently of, uh, we're talking hundreds of millions of downloads each week uh, when launching that app. I mean, it's it's an impressive, uh, sorry, hundreds of thousands of downloads each week, sorry. Uh, I mean, we're talking a very, po very positive number, and a very positive movement. And I've, I've, I've watched myself in Weatherspoons and seen the amount of people that are uh, using the app to order food. And actually for them as a business, I'm sure that's hugely increasing, increasing uh, customer, the, uh, the kind of the positivity of the brand experience from a customer perspective, because they're not necessarily having to queue at the bar, but also operationally, it will make things easier as well. Ultimately, it's easier to serve serve something in that way than uh, having stacks of people at a bar. So very interesting. Do I think that other people are gonna follow suit? Uh, I think we will have other brands considering it and maybe reducing their overall uh, their overall effort and time. And I think it does start a conversation. I don't think we're going to see any mass exodus. No. In fact, for a survey we put out at this event, Restaurant Marketer and Innovator in January, we uh, we saw that social paid and organic social were the areas that brands were going to be investing more in this year uh, than any other tactic in marketing, in fact. Yeah. Well, I remember in your article, you made the point that sometimes going first uh, gives you an advantage just from a media coverage point of view. And they certainly got a huge amount of uh, PR out of that process, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, which other uh, which other tactic could you ever drop yeah. off if you dropped off? dropped off consumer PR or if you dropped off uh, Google AdWords, would it would it get the front page on major <laughs> national newspapers? Probably not. I mean, they were everywhere. And I think yeah. good, good on them. Absolutely. Okay, so we come to the, the, the actual food and service style itself. Yeah, I think it's very interesting actually in terms of the food style. Uh, one of the things that we're we're obviously seeing as a trend right now is this move towards more health consciousness amongst consumers, less food, uh, let sorry less meat. Uh, we're also seeing a, a kind of balance, much more of a balance in the way that people eat, and I think that those things alone are really going to change. Uh, I, I don't see them being cyclical trends i definitely see them as being secular trends that are going to continue that's the most important thing i think when you're looking at any trends is are we looking at something that's going to be here for the next few months or few years or are we seeing something that's going to continue to grow and uh let's face it we know as consumers that intensive farming is not good on our planet and i think by default that means that we know and we are having consumers understanding that much more that that's going to move to people deciding they are going to be more careful in what they eat in terms of uh the amount of the amount of uh amount of meat particularly uh, and that's where i think you're going to get increases to free from diets i also think that it's very interesting to, to as an example of that 
to see the way that the plastic straw scenario has just uh, has exploded really. I think we all know that plastic's not good for our planet, that we only have to watch any of the documentaries about the oceans, uh, and we all want to do our part in that. And it's interesting in our sector that started, and it is a starting point, there's a huge way to go, I'm sure you appreciate, uh, with plastic straws. And actually I think in the UK certainly, the first person I saw driving it was a couple of years ago was uh, was Peter Borge Neil from Oakman Inns and now it's become widespread here and I think we definitely led the way in fact I think it's only now we're starting to see US brands and I think uh, Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group came out last week to say they've done that uh, Jamira in uh, Dubai a few weeks before that so it's great to see that we led the way uh, I saw a, an article I'm sure you saw the same article a couple of days ago in Propel where I think it was a 700 times increase in plas in uh, in non-plastic straw sales and for the first time non-plastic straw sales have overtaken plastic straws it does show that as consumers we're much much more aware of of ourselves as consumers and what what impact we have on the planet and then uh, so i think that 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 the balance, uh, the balance is going to be really important there, and will will continue to be a trend that we're going to see into the future. I think the idea of customizable experiences, we're already seeing this, and I've seen stats from the US that suggest a crazy number uh, or a crazy percentage of checks are, are changed. So. I want this with this. I don't want this with this. It's interesting that in the past, we've maybe been in an environment where uh, that wasn't accepted. Almost certainly now that you can't do that. You've got to be able to customize and uh, be willing to customize. If all else, uh, you've got an EU legislation that requires you to acknowledge a large number of allergens, which is only growing. But we think this is yeah. going to continue to grow with people deciding that they, they want it their way. Uh, and I think we'll see that we're obviously seeing that in fast casual in the way uh, that you've got many more kind of subway line type concepts coming out the next piece here was about managing click and collect uh, and delivery versus eat in i think that we'll be much better at having uh, multiple entrances into venues as we design venues going forward so we don't have a scenario where you're waiting for a table in a nice restaurant and you see someone with a big a uh, big light blue bag appear beside you, uh, vying for the attention of the person behind the counter. So I think that that's that's going to be really positive, actually, as a as a move. And I think I'm already seeing it, but almost certainly as we go into the future. And in terms of managing that click and collect, you only have to look at the US. We were in New York with 50 restaurateurs a few weekends ago on a tour and uh, the amount of shelves relating to delivery style operations and meal power, which is another one that's very big there. The idea that you can transact and then go and pick up your item from a shelf in the site rather than needing to actually speak to anybody. So that frictionless transaction, uh, which I think is is going to be massively important moving forward. The last thing in terms of service on this particular area, which I absolutely agree with our experts on, is there will be a balance between automation and service. I'm asked all the time, when are we going to see robots delivering food to tables? When are we going to see robots taking orders? And I think what you have to think about here is that there's on one side food for fuel, on the other side there's food for experience. Food for fuel is about convenience. Food for experience is absolutely that. It's about an experience. It's about having having an interactive time, and people are a big part of that. As we become more digitally focused as individuals and as a society, these human connections and human interaction will be far far more important than even any, anything we've seen. So, do I think we're going to see full service restaurants? 
come to a point where you're ordering on a tablet on the table, that may become an option, but I don't think it's going to be the normality anytime soon. Do I think that in fast, in a, in a prep style environment, we're going to see people ordering on iPads? Uh, I think that that isn't a, a potential. It's interesting mm. that in terms of the throughput in somewhere like prep, it's far quicker to get people through that venue with contactless payment uh, to an individual than it is to have them ordering on an iPad. So I think it's a very interesting time uh, and a very interesting opportunity to watch. Definitely a better balance between automation and service with more automation happening in the back of house, I think, rather than the front of house. Yeah, I mean, the very definition of, of, of hospitality requires a, a human interaction uh between customer guests and and member of staff and i completely agree with you with this this focus and i seem to remember at griff it was referred to as the obviously the convenience is is critical but the experience will ultimately win over and i think you're right there's your definition of food for fuel and food for experience i think it's uh, very succinctly put james and the food for fuel market is perhaps where the greatest opportunity lies for more automation um perhaps in uh, be able to order in advance. Obviously, Starbucks, uh, I think, have led the way from a coffee perspective of being able to do that. But that experience piece, I don't think we're going to see computers or robots or AI uh, replace people anytime soon. No, absolutely. Uh, the, uh, in, in fact, I think that it's probably the probably the uh, the one area that when we have seen people do that that they've it's not worked out particularly well as a few like restaurants in london where there's digital tables and so on and actually i'm not saying you'd have expected if it was really really working for them these guys would be expanding at a rapid rate and just yet they're not so i can only assume that it's yeah. not going do you think the the opportunity and I, I recently i think it was ragamama who launched their new uh, payment app do you think that's really the real automation piece that many restaurants may want to go down the route of allowing people to pay via their app and avoiding the uh, that catching the eye of the waiter or waitress to uh, to get the bill yeah absolutely and that does bring us really nicely onto uh, payment and follow up i think friction free payment is again it, it, it's definitely coming this is one that was brought up by our experts and i think that it's both wagamama and prezo both launched something mm -hmm. in the last few months and uh, i had the great pl pleasure actually of meeting uh, meeting with emma and andre from wagamama to just ahead of that launch of the app and uh, they they talked it through and we used used it in, in a trial environment and i think the way that they've delivered it is really very very good it just shows that as a brand they're obviously doing so so superbly well but uh that's because they've listened to customers they understand the operation so uh you are able to pay in an uber type way that you just walk out and you you've pre-registered and that's done by giving a number to uh to the per to the person who you're uh, who's serving you and that means that at that point they can connect that to your your uh, your account your device and it means you can walk out but it also means you can order extra items but the thing i really love about the insight that provided them the way that it had to work is you still do need to order your main courses Mm -hmm. with the individual with the server with the, the waiter or waitress and i think that uh, that's that's really important because it means there is still that opportunity for that person to wow you uh, and there's still the opportunity of making sure that in terms of all the allergens and all of those other things that that the operational impact uh, of an app isn't causing you more work 
Uh, and I think that if you've not used it yet, I definitely recommend you go and go and give it a go. I think the real time yeah. follow up will link with this actually. So I think this is yeah. another thing that our experts told us is the idea of rather than waiting till I get home, rather than waiting till I get home for an email, I'm actually able to uh, to give feedback either whilst I'm at the venue or, or as I'm leaving. But what it means is actually that feedback. Uh, can then be responded to there and then rather than waiting for that dreaded email uh, dreaded email a couple of days after the experience then having to retrospectively deal with it and I think that that real-time follow-up uh, should should really overcome one of the big challenges that we Brits seem to have compared to certainly the Americans and that's that we obviously uh, obviously don't like making a scene in a restaurant so uh, yeah it's always that awkward moment of I'll say yes it was all okay even though uh, that's certainly not what I'm going to go and write it on TripAdvisor later. Yes, although I, mean, I was recently had, had quite an outstanding experience in, believe it or not, in, in Premier Inn in their time restaurant. And uh, I had, like, it was a fantastic meal, actually. I wasn't expecting it. And uh, the I had, I tweeted about it. And within moments, the social media team for um, the Premier Inn were responding, but also letting the store team know. So before I, a restaurant team, before I'd even left the restaurant, they had heard about the fact that I had made these comments, uh, which were very positive about the restaurant. So we, we certainly are already in a place where I think people are happy to tweet or put on Instagram issues, both positive and negative. And it's great, as you say, that people will be able to deal with that in real time, in the moment, and not get that email a couple of days later to give, get some feedback. I think that does raise its very its very own pointly actually is that uh, I think we're we're so far behind as a sector in terms of social media and coverage of social media. The amount of times mm. I sit in a restaurant and I tweet or tweet at seven o'clock at eight o'clock at night and don't get anything back until maybe the next day or maybe several days later. And you think, well, actually, look, I'm here right now. And as you said, if someone can pick up on that and use it, yeah, it's such great, great feedback. Uh, one of the things that I certainly did. Uh, within my my role when I was working with Thai Ledger Group was change the way that our social media team works. Our social media manager, specifically her role was managing managing social. And a lot, most of that was as a customer service tool. And that meant that uh, she was, she her, her timing, uh, her timing was about responding to that between 12 and 10. And that we didn't expect her to come into an office or to work normal office hours because ultimately our client, our customers and our restaurants uh, are not tweeting us or Facebooking us or Instagramming us during office hours. They're doing it when they want to do it and they expect a response within that time. I think think we'll see more of that. But what that needs is marketers and senior leaders in our sector to be more uh, more, uh, forward thinking in the way that they, they employ people. And actually I think that kind of annualized hours or flexible working environment uh, is is really important the other thing on that point that i think just as a as a worthwhile thing to say is the importance of people to have marketers in in sites uh, i'm not saying that uh saying that rather than sitting in head office is getting them out and about into the estate someone that's uh, got a people background uh lee and also obviously trains in operations I'm sure that uh, sure that you 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 agree that as a as a business you're you're building far more rapport with both your customers and your people if you're out there in the estate rather than sitting in a, sitting in a head office behind a desk. 
I couldn't agree more. We uh, really embraced the mantra of if you're not serving a customer, you better be serving someone who is. And I think everyone in from a support function, head office perspective, needs to be have that mindset where I'm there to support the team in the store, in the restaurant, in the, in the bar to do what they need to do. But also that's where my customers are. So I can talk to them. I can interact with them. And again, I've had an experience actually in Canada where someone from the marketing team came up to me of that of the brand. Uh, I was in the restaurant having a meal and they had recently instigated a menu change and was interested to know what I thought about certain dishes that I had ordered. It was the, probably the best table check back I've ever had. Uh, but part of it was not just what they were asking, but the fact it was coming from someone not actually working in the restaurant as a server, but someone who worked for that brand who was interested in my perspective and was working, as you say, not perhaps normal nine to five office hours. In fact, it was probably about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night this was going on. And it was so refreshing to see that. Uh, I, I have to say I've yet to see that in the UK, but hopefully we will soon. Yeah, that's superb. Exactly what exactly exactly what I'm saying and exactly what I think we need to move towards as a sector. I suppose the whole this payment piece, it really does link back to what you were talking about in relation to the gastronomic passport, the idea of having one app where you've got the payment, you've got all your food information. And I suppose also back into the research, almost a TripAdvisor-like service, which all in one for you to identify the restaurant you want to go to, make the booking, provide your information in advance around that allergens or you've got a romantic meal for two and you want somewhere secluded or whatever it may be, a birthday, being able to pay, being able to order extra sides, that there really is a huge, a very complex perhaps, but a very exciting opportunity, I think, for technology to add to this. But as you say, not take away from the fundamental interaction between the guest and the server. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that technology is technology will be an enabler, uh, as it is always. It's not the strategy; it's the enabler. Uh, and I think that I really, really strongly believe that we our, our key challenge at the moment is that we have many of our big tech companies in our sector, uh, and actually a, a number of our key tech companies are, of course, in multiple sectors who uh, sit in the same way as I suppose Apple have traditionally for a number of years. Is that you know they're not willing to interface and that causes us massive problems as a sector mm -hmm. because it means that actually in terms of the younger more uh, more disruptive brands that are out there doing really innovative stuff in technology which are so many of that uh, this this lack of connectivity and interfacing means that they just can't break through and i think it, it causes a lot of frustration in fact, I've, I've seen, I've been to a number of incubators, actually, uh, tech incubators, where there's people who have come from our sector, they've been waiting staff, restaurant managers, all of these positions and operations, and they've, uh, they've spotted an opportunity to do something better and use technology to fix that. And then they're out there doing that. What we absolutely need to do, and I suppose this is an absolute call to anyone that's listening who has the influence to do so, is that if you're a big brand and you've got technology, big technology providers you're working with you have far greater influence and power to to help those people interface and connect and it's really that that breakthrough moment for a number of those plans uh, which which i think is uh, is a really important step for us to be able to move forward in our sector yeah. in terms of achieving all of what we've talked about here today the other thing that and it goes back to your point around uh, marketing people in product development, the chefs, etc., and where I think technology links in is providing even better information for the staff to be able to talk to our guests about 
food quality provenance, um, suggestions around food allergens and what might be suitable for them, you know, suggesting the right food pairing for wines, etc. Just giving them better information. And I'm still utterly shocked at how many brands, the staff, uh, aren't tasting the food. Um, there's not enough cook-offs actually happening. They're not given the opportunity to really understand the ingredients, where products are coming from, how items are cooked and prepared. It really is quite shocking. And I think, again, to your point about enabling, technology can really be uh, a good tool to, to enable them to do that. Do you see anyone doing that well? It's interesting. I think that in terms of use, people using technology as an enabler uh, for staff motivation, I think that it's interesting that uh, Tribes, uh, the Tribes app, which is by the guys at New World Trading Company, probably uh, they won quite a lot of awards for this. And I think they're starting to go down that track, using it as a motivational tool and as a customer as an employee engagement tool, gamifying that. Uh, it's interesting, actually, my last big project at Tileisure Group is starting to go down that with the development of their app called TLG Journeys. Uh, I think that there's definitely more work to be done, though. And uh, I think that we're in a very interesting spot right now, particularly with casual dining operators that, that, let's face it, most of our casual dining operators are owned by big venture capital brands and often that's meant that there's been a very maybe a short to medium term view uh, of, of what they're willing to invest in I think given the current market and how tough it is for a number of people I think that 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 view is changing because people realize that they may be in for a bit of a longer haul with some of these brands before some level of exit and I think what we are seeing almost certainly the conversations I'm having with people at the moment and the briefs I'm seeing coming across my desk are exactly that saying look we need to do better at marketing and we need to do better at our people uh, these are all the things we're looking at and the reason that we're doing that is because uh, frankly we're not going to be able to grow through new sites what we're going to have to do is grow through uh, grow through uh, getting a better market share and making our existing stores perform better i think we've been so wrapped up in growth of new sites for so long as a casual dining sector particularly that that's cut stuff's all been secondary that it will be great to see people uh, taking that and innovating more i mean it's interesting you say about the piece of people not being allowed to eat the food uh, or not being able to taste food uh, i'm always shocked that when i hear these stories i think how can people get inspired truly uh, about the food and become enthusiastic if they've not tried it uh, in fact i was in a meeting yesterday and uh, someone told me that i'm not sure whether uh, I, this is third-hand information but that if you work for a prep that you can go into any other prep and get free uh, complimentary coffee uh, which i think is a great starting point that idea of encouraging people to go on your sites and giving them feedback interestingly we met uh, we met the team at uh, Union Square Hospitality Group, as I said earlier, are recently in New York, and they have a scenario where their own team are given a credit. Every member of their team is given a credit to dine in their restaurants every month. Uh, and the only thing they need to do from that is give feedback in the kind of same way as you do mystery feedback. And their view actually is that because it's their people, their people know their expectations much better, and it's the best feedback they get, far better than yeah. far better than the feedback from customers, because actually. The customer have their own preperception or uh, expectation, whereas their own team know what it is they should be doing and are far more critical uh, than, than the harshest critics. Indeed.
Absolutely. So moving on to the final piece then is moving away from the restaurant and actually bringing that experience into your own home. We know, as you've mentioned from Uber Eats and Deliveroo and the many others, that this is becoming a massively fast growing sector. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest growing, isn't it? I think it's uh, it's unbelievable to see some of the statistics behind that. But I think that and that's not going away. I think it's interesting that what what I hope uh, for our for our sake is that we're able to uh, for our sector's sake that we're able to get some of those commission values down, of course. But I do think as a consumer trend that this idea of eating in a more convenient way in the home is going to continue to grow, and our experts thought so too. But the yeah. idea of automated delivery and service uh, they believed was going to become more important. I think you see Just Eat with these little robots uh, that they're trialing in Milton Keynes right now. I think there's uh, obviously the drone delivery stuff that Amazon have been doing. I think there's, yep. uh, there's, there'll be a lot, of, a lot of movement and this idea of automated delivery will definitely come through. And I think actually, but I think you've got to look at, well, what are people looking for in their homes? And frankly, I think actually, did I ever think that burgers were going to become a massive thing for home delivery? Well, no, I don't actually think burgers deliver particularly well at all. You know, uh, Indian, Thai, Asian food more generally uh, deliver mm. very well because it's it's in a liquid form or noodle form and that travels well. A burger potentially doesn't. Uh, it's interesting that we're so used to having it ordered pizza uh, for a long time, but it's amazing to see now that uh, I saw some stats that suggested that Burger were the number one for one of the big uh, one of the big brands. Sorry, one of the big delivery firms. It's the biggest uh, biggest item they're delivering. So I think that it does highlight this continued thing for having any food at any occasion. And I think that really links back to another massive trend we're seeing, which is this idea of uh, moving from three to four meals per day or day parts. And uh, what that's doing is meaning that people are less focused on having a particular cuisine type for for a, a particular time of day. So I think this idea that actually I, I don't need to have breakfast at breakfast anymore. In fact, uh, I, I, I'm, I can have breakfast in the evening. I could have, uh, in fact, I, you only have to go to airports and watch people eating, uh, eating katsu curry at wasabi at uh, 9.30 in the morning to show that this is absolutely a, absolutely mm -hmm. a, a trend that we're going to, we're going to see continuing. So uh, this absolutely, I would watch out for that. This any time, any food, any time of day. And I think that I'd be very, very aware of when you're developing your own uh, processes and your own menus going forward. Those people listening, I think I'd, I'd take away the idea that you necessarily need to have uh, need to have certain things at certain times of day. I know that I had a conversation with someone at Bills recently who they'd never traditionally done pancakes at dinner time and have been trying to drive a dinner time occasion uh, I believe they put pancakes on the menu at one of their test sites and it's become a hugely a uh, hugely popular dish for them uh, I also saw a restaurant in New York uh, called Nighthawk AM which is a, a evening restaurant that there's queuing out of the door which is uh, just breakfast in the evening which I think is quite cool wow. I on a recent trip to the US I experienced uh, a retail brand, Wegmans, who you're probably familiar with, grocery store. Um, they had a, a lot of success in, in leading, I suppose, the category, the grocerants, I've, I've heard it referred to. Um, Professor Muller I mentioned that at his seminar in London last year. And this ability to go in and either literally dine in a restaurant within the, the, uh, the retail store 
or have the option of taking it away as a pre-cooked, a ready meal if you like. Or the third option, having all of the same ingredients, but ready for you to take home and make up yourself. Almost like, I suppose, Gusto is a, Gusto is a, a model over here where you can get it delivered to your house. Do you see that becoming more prevalent, that either grocery stores will have more restaurant or more ability to literally buy something with all of the ingredients in one big box for you to take home? And do you see restaurants might go down the Gusto model of allowing people to pre-order all of the ingredients for their favorite meal that instead of having cooked in the restaurant, they cook at home? It's uh, it's almost like you're reading my mind, Lee. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we didn't prepare that. I, I, no, I think that I think it's exactly that. I, I, I use Gusto personally. I know a number of people that use HelloFresh. Uh, I think you only have to look at the way that supermarkets are using the ends of their aisles now to put wine with the right dishes and all those ingredients mm. together all of that stuff as you said uh, and i'm not sure whether you know but i think uh, my understanding is at waterloo and i think there's one going in at st pancras here that mns are uh, changing their stores up or have done already to put uh, to put more seating in their stores so actually given the high level of uh, the high volume of traffic they have getting their grab and go piece that actually that that they are absolutely trading in this in this space uh, alongside that and the reason i think you're reading my mind is that i'm actually working on a concept for a site in edinburgh right now where we're doing exactly that the concept will be about coming and grabbing uh, food to go that's cooked also having ingredients ready in a box that you can take the same ingredients away to cook it yourself and also being able to eat those same dishes in uh, I, I, I thought I was somewhat ahead of the curve, but let's hope there's not too many people behind me. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll scrap the podcast now. Uh, <laughs> I thought what was interesting as well, I remember in, in Professor Muller's lecture last year, he had talked about, he um, teaches at Boston University, and he'd asked his class, how many of you, you know, put your hands up, have been into any kind of casual dining restaurant in the last month? And he said barely 25% put their hands up. How many of you have ordered Deliveroo in the last month? 90% of them have put their hands up. And his point was they're doing this and then they're going to want to continue to do it. But the, the, the desire to want to have meals freshly prepared in their own home, but having to not have to all that legwork of going out and buying ingredients and not having to you know, measure everything. And it's just a simple um, recipe to put together is something that's very appealing. So it gives them the fresh the, the balanced nutrition that they're looking for, but equally the convenience of doing it at home. So uh, I think you're onto something there, sir, definitely. It's absolutely why I do it. And there's a few reasons I do it. I work very long hours, as I'm sure we all do. And the idea of uh, my mind being completely and utterly rammed with lots of other things means that actually I, I want something beyond my brand, my repertoire of recipes that might be 10 or 12. I want something different. I want something interesting. And as you say, I want mm -hmm. something healthy. Uh, or at least balanced and I think we've got such an odd perception now of what's what's healthy I think that uh, we we, uh, we we definitely struggle as consumers really understanding what's healthy and what's not healthy and I think that that's the nice thing of having someone else buying from an environment where someone else has done that work for you and is trusted uh, which I think is really important to me so it's about uh, choice flexibility health and it's also about time there's not one of those dishes that takes me more than 20 minutes to cook but yeah. i love to cook 
So I love, I love doing it. I like the experience of taking some time out of my day to cook the food I'm now going to eat. And I think many other people do too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The last sort of question that I put to Professor Muller when he and I did a podcast a little while ago was, again, it was very much about what trends he was seeing in the US at that time. But I asked him if, if you were creating a restaurant now, what would be the one thing that you would say to yourself or say to someone else, absolutely think about? And uh, firstly, he cursed me for only allowing him one. But the point he settled on was it goes back slightly to the design of the restaurant. Make sure you're building in the delivering option into your restaurant, one that can work as seamlessly as possible with the existing kitchen, but perhaps having separate kitchens for the delivery, but that may not be physically possible. But to your point about the collection, the, to keep that, if you're using Deliveroo or Uber Eats or whatever, keeping it kind of separate from the in-restaurant dining experience, but do not open a restaurant that doesn't have the capacity to offer an in-home dining experience that's being delivered either by yourself or by a third party. Now, that was the answer he gave. If I may ask you the one question, if there's one person coming to you saying, I've got an idea of opening a restaurant, I guess it's probably going to be something we've already spoken about, but is there one thing you say, absolutely don't miss this? What would that be? It's interesting. Before you said that, I, I, I would have probably said the same thing. But I think if I was to pick something else, uh, I think that it would probably be making sure that you uh, you pick technology providers that are small enough uh, or adaptable enough that they will allow you somewhat of an open open ticket to allow people to interface between them so that you can do all the things you want to do into the future in terms of connecting technology to make the most amazing experience for your customers but also making a really seamless process for you managing all your inventory stock uh, right through to the music, uh, all of those different technologies. I mean, I counted that within one restaurant group I was involved with, we used 90-something technologies altogether, which is just unbelievable, wow. really. And I suppose when you look at all of the back of house systems, I can see how you could very quickly uh, move together. And, and we spent some time talking about the importance of your people and providing that information and training. If you start trying to link up to learning management systems, that's a whole nother nightmare in terms of seamless uh, ability so there really is uh, an opportunity out there for a provider a tech provider to as you say be as open and flexible to bring all these systems together in a, in a seamless as possible as way for the, for the team members absolutely i think it's interesting that i think you can also data the data is so rich i think if we can get to an you can get to an environment and we met a Las Vegas hotelier last year who said they already do this. So they track by individual how many how much tips how many tips they earn, and uh, they also track by individual their sales. And every week, a person gets for those people that know marketing speak can only be described as a Boston matrix. But I wouldn't like to think that we're judging people on a basis of being a dog, a star, or a cash cow. <laughs> fundamentally, it's the same graph. It's the same cup. And, uh, and what it, uh, it encourages somebody to do is understand uh, it, it plots against the sales and the customer and the tips judging on customer service level and highlights them, pins them on a scatter graph. And then if they're within certain quadrants, then it means that they need to change some of what they're doing and it, it highlights a training need. And in Vegas, they said it would highlight active disciplinary whereas i don't think in the uk we're, we're at that point and actually i hope that we're never at that point it'd be great to think that we're willing to train people before we're willing to discipline them but yeah i do like the idea of being able to use data to 
actively give people really interesting feedback and insight yeah. into how well they're performing. As you say, motivating people. And uh, I remember many years ago, I think it was Kenneth Kovach, uh, was talking about motivation of team members back in 1979. So we're talking a while back, but some of the biggest motivators are, are about engaging people and having a, having a say on things and having the ability to have input, know what's going on. That's one of the biggest things that I think, not just millennials, but any employee wants to know what's going on, wants to have a sense of, they understand Nobody likes a guest coming in and asking about a promotion and then as a team member not knowing what that promotion is or the mechanics of it, not knowing what the specials are and then getting asked. These are all things that really are uh, management failures if they happen. And uh, technology can help to minimize those. But as you say, it's always going to come down to, to people. James, it's been absolutely brilliant. I, I feel a little bit guilty. I said it would be about 45 minutes. I think we've talked for about an hour today. So I'm really grateful for stealing an hour of your time. I have one last question, which is you may know I ask all my podcasts and our guests, which is if you could go back in time and talk to the young James, what one piece of advice would you give him? Trust, trust your own judgment and uh, don't let other people, don't let other people uh, push you down. I think lots of people have got very, uh, got their own agendas in life and uh, uh I think it's very a very uh, very easy for sometimes to be knocked by what other people say and actually what i've realized as i've become a leader myself is that actually uh, often leaders don't always know what it is they're saying and the impact that they're necessarily having uh, and i think that you have to trust in yourself and your own abilities at every stage i i said once that uh, maybe after a few hundreds of these episodes i might do a uh a book about these that one question and what people tell me, but the chapter on trusting your own uh, belief in yourself, I think it's going to be a big, big chapter because it's something that uh, a lot of people are saying. So uh, it's, it's interesting that you've said that again today. Thank you, James. Um, I hope everyone else enjoys listening to the podcast as much as I've enjoyed talking with you today. All of James's contact details for both Think Hospitality and, of course, the Restaurant Marketer and Innovator will be available in the show notes. And I'm sure James would love to hear from you, especially his call for next year's event on uh, the restaurant of the future or whatever concepts you're going to be talking about at your conference in January. Uh, if you want to get involved, I'm sure James would love to hear from you. Any final thoughts, James? No, I think the only thing I would like to say is also alongside Restaurant Marketer and Innovator, obviously we met at the Global Restaurant Investment Forum. It's a superb mm -hmm. platform, an amazing community. I think Jennifer, yeah, yeah. Jonathan and the team there do such a great job. Uh, and that's, uh, I've met some amazing people there. It's moving to Amsterdam next year. Uh, and I think as a member of the advisory committee, I'd really love to invite anybody to come along to that too. Those two events, very different, but uh, yeah, I think both of them, uh, both of them, are very interesting in their own right. But thank you so yeah, much I, for having me on on the show. My pleasure, and I'd second that. I think with the fact that Griff's going to be in Amsterdam and much closer to uh, the UK, uh, really no excuse not to, not to get involved. Uh, I found it one of the most insightful events I've been to for many many years. I have to say, and also very well organised. So thank you, James. Have a great afternoon, and we look forward to speaking to you again, hopefully in the not too distant future. Thank you. 
So once again, a great interview with James. Uh, he really is one of those people who not only is incredibly well connected and has amazing insights, but also incredibly helpful and generous with his time. Uh, it really was a pleasure to speak with him today. Uh, if you want to contact James, I think Think Hospitality, where he's MD, and the Restaurant Marketer and Innovator, where he's co-founder, are two great places to start. If you look in the show notes, you will find the website details for both of those organizations. You'll also find James's uh, LinkedIn profile and his Twitter handle as well. Uh, and don't uh, hesitate to contact him to ask to be involved in the next Restaurant Innovator event that they're planning. Uh, and Think Hospitality too. So all in all, a great session. I think two things really stood out for me. Uh, the restaurant of the future is actually almost now, and we're not talking decades away, we're talking months or maybe years at most. And I think two things, the surge pricing, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see the growth of that, and I think uh, James is spot on with that. And of course, the, the, the idea of the gastronomic passport was something that really fascinated me. I really enjoyed his description of that. And I think with the way mobile technology is going, that's gonna be a great tool for both the consumer, the guest, and the restaurateur as well. Thanks again to James. As ever, thank you to Sam Walsh, our producer for today's episode. Please, if you get a chance, please like us, drop a review on your uh, iTunes podcast or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast from. We really appreciate it and it helps other people find this podcast. Until next time, take care.